morning, church. It's good to see your smiling faces this morning. I'm really excited to be bringing the message to you this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Spirit-led life, a life that is surrendered to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As He guides us, teaches us, comforts us, and, and enables us to live the life with eternal value. But more specifically, what we're going to do is we're going to look at an example from Jesus, who I think you can agree definitely led a life led by the Spirit. And he gives us some insights for what to expect along the way. But first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like the Holy Spirit was leading you in a certain direction, but as he was leading you there, you feel like you hit a dead end, like the provision you assumed was going to be there wasn't. What did you do in that situation, in that moment? I mean, what can you really do in that moment, right? I know for myself, it's very easy to start doubting the leading of the Holy Spirit. Was it really the Holy Spirit who led me here in the first place? Have we lost favor with God? You know, what's going on here, Holy Spirit? What's going on? But the good news is, we are not alone in this experience. In fact, this same thing happened to Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Jesus himself experienced this same situation. And in this passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, we see that there are things we can learn from Jesus. There are lots of things we can learn from Jesus, right? And so we're going to look at this passage this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Matthew 4, or you can just follow along on the screen. So Jesus has just been baptized by John in the Jordan and uh, in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit has just descended on him like a dove. And so we pick up the story from here. In verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. And so I was talking before about you know getting to this position where you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading has just come to an end and it's almost like a desert. This period where you, you don't see the provision necessarily anymore and you're like, what's going on? Whereas Jesus is not being led into a metaphorical desert, he's actually being led into a, a very real and physical desert, into the wilderness here. And the first thing we learn is that sometimes the Holy Spirit does lead us into the wilderness, into the desert. And so we don't need to doubt the Holy Spirit's leading just because the times seem a bit thin or we're not sure what the next step is. But I think the reason we get led into these times, in the times of trial sometimes, is to stretch us and to teach us valuable lessons like patience. Oh, I love learning that one. <laughs> I just want to learn it quicker, don't you? Um, patience, trust, all these things come up. Megan and I experienced such a desert uh, early on when we were married. 
Um, we still are married, by the way, early on in our marriage. And uh, we were living in Meribah at the time. Um, I was working at uh, the Meribah Wesleyan Methodist Church, which has now been shortened to Life Church. It's an easier name to pronounce. I was uh, doing an inter- internship there, and it was coming to an end. Megan was working at a dental clinic in town. The house we were renting, the lease was coming to an end. And we just felt like God was calling us to move on, to go somewhere. And we had just heard that Rod and Heather Hall were being appointed to the Toowoomba Wesleyan Methodist Church. And prior to that, the church had been without an appointed pastor for quite some time. And so the more we prayed about it and sought after the Holy Spirit's leading, we felt like we were being led to just be a part of that congregation, to move to Toowoomba and to support and help Rod and Heather Hall in any way you know, possible. And so being faithful to the Spirit's leading, we started applying for work in Toowoomba as best you can. And when the lease ran out in our house at Meribah, we packed up, moved in with the in-laws to Megan's parents' place in a caravan on the property and um, we're still applying for work. And you know, amazingly, the Holy Spirit provided Megan with an awesome job in Toowoomba at a dental clinic. And that was great thing was, we didn't have a house yet. So we packed up the caravan, went down to Toowoomba, or up to Toowoomba, I'm terrible with directions, but we made it there, surprisingly, into a caravan park there whilst I was still looking for work and we were still looking for houses. And I had looked at house inspection after house inspection and handed out so many resumes, it was just crazy. And after six weeks of living in this caravan and just trusting, we were starting to wonder, how long is this going to take? And for anyone who's lived in a caravan for a long period of time, you'll know that two things about it. First of all, it's great for doing the housework because you clean up the entire house within minutes. It's fantastic. But you can get a little stir-crazy. And... I remember vividly those cold, cold Toowoomba nights, cold, long Toowoomba nights, lying in bed, focused at the ceiling, thinking and asking myself one question. Do you really, really, really need to go to the toilet? (laughs) Because if the answer is yes, that means that I have to get out of the warm bed get completely dressed, jumper, beanie, scarf. And as I head out the door, I'll hear, wait, I'm coming to. <laughs> Open the door into the brisk Toowoomba night air. And this was in winter. Trek through the caravan park to the public toilets and then make that whole trip back again. And so this was wearing pretty thin, very, very thin And it would appear that the Holy Spirit had led us into a desert. Yes, he had provided for us and and, and it had been amazing. But we got to a point where we just didn't feel like we were seeing progress. Like we were stuck in a place that we didn't think we would be. And at this point, we could have done one of two things. First, we could have started to doubt the Holy Spirit's leading. Was it really him who called us here in the first place? 
Should we have come here at all? Or we could do what we ended up doing. And what we did was we didn't lose faith in the goodness of God. We continued to trust that because the Holy Spirit led us here, that it was for a purpose. In this time, we learnt patience, like I said. We learnt to trust in God's timing. We learnt to work together as a young married couple and to put God first. There were so many things that we learnt in the waiting and in this desert that, yes, we probably could have learnt in other ways, but not in such a short period of time. It felt like a long period, but a short period of time. And ultimately, in just a week's time, I ended up finding work and we got approved for a house. We moved in and this house was, you wouldn't call it flash, but it was good and it had everything we needed, everything we were looking for. Not only that, it was a couple of doors down from the Japanese gardens, so that was pretty cool. It was like being our backyard. It's like having a personal gardener that we didn't have to pay or worry about and other people could use it too. But anyway, we saw it as our backyard and, and we made the most of it. And so not only did the Holy Spirit lead us into a desert, granted, you know, looking back on it, it wasn't that much of a hardship, but led us into this desert. He also led us out again and we learnt from it. And this brings me to my first point this morning. And that is that the Spirit-led life takes us where we need to go. Not always where we want to go. The Holy Spirit will always take us where we need to go. It's not always where we want to go. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't always just, it's not always about being you know, taken away from what we want to do or that we have to deny ourselves of any of our interests or passions. Me and Megan, we were excited. We were so excited to go to Toowoomba. We loved it. But sometimes we need to go places that stretch us and push us. And I'm sure Jesus himself wasn't thrilled about being led into the wilderness to be tempted to the, um, by the devil or to, to fast. But as we read on, you'll see how this experience, even for Jesus, was character building. So let's continue reading in Matthew 4, starting at verse 3. It says, During that time, the devil came and, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then uh, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the second point this morning is that the Spirit-led life recognizes the voice of the Spirit through knowing the Word of God. You catch that? It's, it's about recognizing. The Spirit-led life recognizes the voice of God, or sorry, the voice of the Spirit, through the knowing of His Word, the Word of God, which is the Bible. When Jesus was tempted to go against the Holy Spirit's leading by breaking His fast and taking matters into His own hands, He's able to gain clarity of thought and action by recalling the written Word of God. In the Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in and, and, and lived in, 
They spent a huge amount of time meditating on the Scriptures, teaching it to one another, and committing it to memory. So in this time of trial for Jesus, he was already so familiar with the voice of God that he was able to recognize that the course of action the devil was tempting him to take was not of God's will. Church, this is an important lesson for us to take on board. The more time we spend dwelling in God's word and learning what his voice sounds like, the easier it is to hear the Holy Spirit leading us when we are under pressure. When we're in moments of pressure, we tend to revert back to our default setting, what we would prefer to do, right? And so if we are spending time dwelling in God's word and in prayer, then we end up rewiring our default, right? Our default becomes what God's will for us is. Our default is to run to him instead of to run to our own understanding and, and you know, what we previously knew to do. So this is important, church. Think about it this way. Jesus was led into a desert, right? Well, imagine you went into the Sahara Desert without months of preparation. You went in without preparation, right? You're definitely going to be overcome by the challenges that lay ahead. It's almost inevitable. But if you go in prepared with prior training, knowledge, and equipment, you may even come out stronger than before. I know you hear, you know, Nathan, Steve, myself, pastors here talk about this a lot, this concept of dwelling with God and being in his, um, in his word and in prayer. But it's so important, that's why we keep mentioning it. To live a vibrant, spiritual-led, uh, spirit-led life, we need to prepare by spending time hearing from God through prayer and reading his word, the Bible. This is the training and equipping we need to grow and mature in our walk with God. I mean, who doesn't want to you know, grow into maturity? Like, I know I do. And this is how we do it, through walking daily with God. Let's continue reading our passage this morning. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. So the devil here is tempting Jesus to do something quite foolish. He's asking Jesus to test the patience of God as well. In essence, this is what the devil is saying to Jesus. He's saying, make a reckless decision to jump off this building, knowing full well that the consequence for this is death. For God is patient and will rescue you anyway. This, I believe, 
is a vivid image of what it looks like when we choose to indulge in sinful behavior simply because we know that God is merciful and has already forgiven us of our sins. Jesus tells us quite clearly when he quotes the scriptures that this is not good for us to test God's patience like this. Last week we celebrated Easter, which was a great reminder of the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf to deal with the consequence of our sin. The consequence of which was death. And this was more than just a physical death, it was it included spiritual death, eternal separation from God, who is the source of life. Why did Jesus do this? Well, out of his great love for us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to add to his burden through my continual sin. Church, I don't want this to be a guilt trip, but I'm sharing it because I find in my own life that reflecting on this great sacrifice and understanding that it was out of God's love, that it encourages me to want to do my best. Not in order to, to, to earn salvation or to earn a relationship with God, but out of respect and reverence for what he has done for me. So in light of all this, we should actively be doing our best to honor Jesus' great sacrifice. And you know, the cool thing is, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us who enables us to live a life free from the dominion of sin. In other words, we, know, we are no longer burdened with the inability to refuse sin. We're no longer burdened with the inability to refuse sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. These are encouraging words, church. Because no matter what you are struggling with, it says that you are not alone. And God has promised that he will show you a way out that you are capable of through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of you. This brings me to my next point, which, is, uh, which we see from, from Jesus' example, and that is that the Spirit-led life has power to refuse temptation. You have the power within you through the Holy Spirit. And there are two things to remember about this point. The first is that the sooner we choose to refuse temptation, the easier it is. You know, temptation in itself is not a sin. I don't want you to, to, come, uh, to come to that understanding. Temptation is not a sin. Even Jesus himself, who knew no sin, well, he was tempted. It's okay. What we do with it is, is what we're looking at. We can choose life. We can choose to follow the Spirit, or we can choose to go down a path of no, well, not no return, but a path, you know, that leads to eternal separation from God. 
So the sooner we choose to refuse temptation, the easier it is. Let me give you an example. If you know that you have a tendency to drink alcohol in excess and become unruly, then it's probably better, it's probably a better idea for you to abstain from drinking at your cousin's wedding the next weekend rather than tempting yourself with, I'll just have one. The sooner you say no to temptation, the easier it is. Or it might be something as simple as committing beforehand to only speak words of encouragement about your spouse to your workmates, even when they are tearing down their own. I don't know if you've experienced that in your workplace. It it seems to be a thing. Oh, I can't believe it. You hear about... Anyway, I'm not going to go down that track, but... It seems to be a common thing, and it's just, but do you know what? I think we're called to speak words of life. And so committing beforehand is that refusing of temptation early. It prepares you for that fact that this may come up. Simple, but effective. So number one, the, ease, the, um, the sooner we refuse, the easier it is. The second thing to remember is that the more times we say no to temptation and yes to the Holy Spirit's leading, the easier it gets. Again, it's about rewiring that default. Let's continue reading. Verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. You know, I sometimes feel like I should read it in a, in a strange, like, I will give you it all if, I don't know, it's the devil, but I don't know what he's supposed to sound like. Sorry, I digress. Verse 9, I will give it all to you, he said. I don't know where I was going. If you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Now this is a strange temptation that the devil brings before Jesus. And I must admit, every time I hear this this verse, I'd always be like, why would Jesus be tempted by this? I mean, Jesus already has authority over all things, over all these kingdoms. For he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. So what is the devil trying to do here? Seems pretty silly. But I realized upon reading Deuteronomy 6.13, which is the passage that Jesus quotes to the devil, I realized that the devil is tempting Jesus to worship the blessings of God instead of God himself. He is tempting Jesus to bring glory to himself instead of giving glory to God, his Father. You see, the whole chapter of Deuteronomy 6 was a reminder to Israel to keep God's word close to heart so that when they finally made it to the promised land, they would remember that this land and all the blessings in it came from God. Let me read it to you, Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to start in verse 10. Prior to that, it's it's talking about, you know, remember God's word. 
Write it on your heart, on the door frames of your houses. Teach it to your children. You know, tie it around your neck as a reminder. Don't forget the word of God and his promises. Then it goes on in verse 10. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. Did you catch the reoccurring theme there? You know, there will be cities that you, that you did not build. Richly stocked houses that you did not stock. All these things that they did not do, these were blessings that were given to them. But you can see how easy it would have been for the nation of Israel to forget God when they reached such an amazing promised land. They could easily have sat back and said, look what we have achieved and bring glory to themselves. Or they could have easily got caught up in the riches of the promised land, worshipping wealth instead of the God who blessed them with wealth in the first place. In fact, Israel did choose to fall into this temptation on more than one occasion. And the devil was tempting Jesus to do the same thing. But instead, Jesus chose to worship God, giving God the glory and being thankful for the blessings he had given him. The final lesson we learn from Jesus is that the Spirit-led life is a life that gives glory to God. Spirit-led life is a life that gives glory to God. We give glory to God in the good and the bad times. Sometimes when we go through the desert, when we go through those lean times where we're not sure where the Holy Spirit is leading us, they teach us to cling more closely to God I think sometimes that's why we go through trials. And we seem to, I don't know, for myself, I find myself praying more and, and wanting to hear more from God in those, in those times of trial. And don't ever feel bad about coming to God and, and, and praying to him and, and seeking his guidance. But you know, God also wants us to give him the glory and to, to seek after him in the good times too. When we do Reach, promised land, whatever that looks like to you. That we don't forget him when the, t- when the going is, is fine and easy or easier. The spirit-led life is the life that gives glory to God. And so to wrap up this morning, I want to share an example of a man I know who lives the spirit-led life a life led by the Spirit day to day and has had a huge impact on my life. And his name is Alan Bells. He's Alan, he owns an avocado farm in Maribor. 
And um, he hired me when I was just out of school as a farmhand. And uh, now, although this farm was Alan's main source of income, he saw it more as a uh, ministry and a way to encourage and, and stretch and grow young people, right? To invest into young people's lives. And so whenever we were out picking fruit, um, he would always ask me deep questions that got me thinking about life and God. He also gave me responsibilities and opportunities to learn new things, like how to drive a tractor, or he gave me the responsibility to go make deliveries on my own. This man believed in me and invested in me. And if you ask him how he came to the decision you know, to use his farm to bless others, I'm sure he would tell you he was simply being obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. It's not always been easy or smooth sailing for Alan. Uh, as you expect, farming, you're very much reliant on the weather. But because of his obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit, my life has been enriched with eternal significance. And not just my life, there are plenty of young men and women who have had the blessing of working with Alan. So this morning, if you want to live the Spirit-led life, which has direction and meaning, even in the midst of trials and, and deserts, so to speak, then I want to invite you to take the first step this morning by surrendering the steering wheel to God. Allow Him to guide you each day as you spend time reading and learning His Word and praying with Him through all of life's circumstances. Because I guarantee if you do, you will find strength to face any trial that comes your way. And I get the sense this morning that there are some people who are in that desert place right now where they're not sure what the next step is. Or there's a trial that you're facing that just seems too big to overcome. There is encouragement this morning that you are not alone. That Jesus has been through this same experience. And that he has given you the Holy Spirit to comfort you, to guide you, and to equip you to walk out of this desert. So I want to invite the band to come back up this morning. We're going to sing our final songs and at the end there'll be an opportunity. If you're in that desert place and you need someone to pray for you and with you, then we have a team who will be out the front here this morning, our prayer team, who would love to pray with you and for you. Take this opportunity to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. Take this opportunity to rest in the loving arms of God. They'll also be available for you if you want to pray about anything. So that's open for you. But right now, I want to pray for you. So let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus, your Son, who not only lived a life led by the Spirit 
and perfect in every way, but Lord, that he also knows what it means to go through trials, to go through periods where things seem lean. But Lord, we know there is victory. There is hope in the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning, we give ourselves to you with open hands. We say, Holy Spirit, come, refresh us, equip us, and guide us to live lives of significance, of eternal significance. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen.